Welcome to Diet Culture Dropout. Are you ready to drop out of the $72 billion narrative that you've been sold? Diet culture sells us lies, unattainable beauty standards, the narrative that your body's inadequate, and dictates how you should define your health. It is pervasive, oppressive, and damaging to all areas of our health. By dropping out of diet culture, we can together celebrate all bodies, work towards dismantling weight stigma, and stop the transgenerational trauma of body shame and dieting. I'm your host, Athena Brown, a non-diet and body-inclusive registered dietitian, a certified intuitive eating counselor, yoga teacher, and a mom of two strong-willed daughters. My passion is helping people heal their relationship with their body and food so they can live a full life without restrictions, size limits, or food rules. I also desperately want to change the narrative for our kids so they can be the first generation that never diets, has resilience in our body-obsessed world, and a positive relationship with food. This podcast is a safe space for exploration, mindful moments, and take-home practices for anyone looking to find food peace and body liberation. Please remember that this is for educational purposes only and does not replace medical advice from your primary care provider, therapist, or registered dietitian. I am so happy you're here. I want you to know that wherever you are in your food and body peace journey, that there is room at this table for you. You are so worthy, just as you are right now. Welcome back to Diet Culture Dropout. I hope everyone's doing well. It's a sunny day in Ontario. Today, I have a really important guest that's coming at us with a really good topic that we have not talked about it yet. So before we get to talking about the topic, welcome to the show, Ahuva Hirschkoff. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. So today we're going to be talking about how women are socialized into burnout and it's very on point topic. I feel like maybe the slippery slope of being an entrepreneur myself and having kids. So I'm excited to learn from you today. So thank you so much for being here and sharing space. Can you share with listeners a little bit more about who you are, where you're located and how you got into this very interesting area of work? Totally. Yeah. So I'm Ahuva Hirschkopf. I am a Toronto-based pediatric dietitian and burnout coach for professional women. I got into this work in a very roundabout way. I guess that's always how people end up in spaces in entrepreneurship. It's like, I thought I was going to do one thing and then magically somehow it morphed into this whole other thing. Mm -hmm. And really, you know, as I was saying, when we were talking before we hit record, I found out that I was pregnant with my third child two days after uh, COVID lockdown started and was still running my pediatric nutrition practice. And before I had gotten pregnant, I was like, this is going to be fantastic. I'm going to have two years, like probably a year to get pregnant. And then another nine months to like build my practice to a certain place. And then found out that I was pregnant and COVID was a thing Mm -hmm. and was working with families during that time while I was, you know, still raising my, my three-year-old twins and was just hearing time and again from parents and women specifically, I was working a lot with 
you know, mothers who were talking about their kids eating and they were like, honestly, we like really wish we could care what you were talking about, but like, we're so up to here that like, if our kids want to go yeah. and like find, I don't know, candy at 6 PM for dinner, we're like calling that a win. We are like, we're good to go on that one. Yeah. And was just hearing this level of burnout that I think that we all are familiar with during that time, but really hitting women disproportionately. I ended up going back to work six days after my son was born because I didn't want to lose momentum in my nutrition business and very quickly found myself in burnout. And I was like, I don't understand. I'm doing all of the things that I was supposed to. Why do I feel this way? And so it really took, you know, taking a step back and asking how I ended up here and how literally every single one of my clients was describing the same thing to be like, okay, we need to talk about this. Right. And as mm-hmm. I found things that were working for me, I sort of got onto my little soapbox and started shouting them from the rooftops. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of how it evolved to now where I run a 12 week coaching program for women on how to really live beyond burnout. Incredible. Oh, I feel it's not talked about enough. So thank you for claiming this space and <laughs> helping women. That's incredible. Great. Okay. So another question I love asking because podcast format. We don't always get to see who's behind the earbuds, right? So can you share with listeners any identities or privileges that you hold? I am a white woman, Jewish Orthodox, go by the pronouns she, her. So lots of the privileges that I hold. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And the theme of the podcast is dropping out of diet culture. And even for dietitians, we experience it on the regular. So can you give us a real life example of how that's maybe come up for you lately and how you kind of realized, yep, there it is hitting me in the face. (laughs) You know what? It's so funny. Number one, I feel like I have this conversation with my kids all the time about school lunches. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Tell number more. one, number one, all the things where they're like, my teacher said I could only eat my healthy snack. And I'm like, what's your teacher's number? I'm going to call them right now. <laughs> but also, you know, really in that being a space where my kids are like, can we decide? And can we, you know, start packing our lunches and can we be more involved? And the voice that keeps on coming up that is like, they're only going to pack like candy which they probably would without direction. And, you know, still noticing some of those places where I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. with myself, there's so much work that I've done in our home, you know, with, with the control that I still have over my six-year-old kids, there's so much, you know, work that, that we've done in our house. And now when it's time to hand over some of that control, I'm like, there's a deeper level of work and learning that is, that is being done now. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And I feel like so many listeners can relate to that one. So thank you. (laughs) Oh, the lunch packing. We're almost to the end of it, right? <laughs> exactly. A couple exactly. more months. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Okay. So we're going to dive into burnout and how women are socialized into experiencing this. So do you want to maybe just start us off by like defining burnout? So we have a better understanding of what we're talking about today. Totally. And I think that defining burnout is challenging for so many women because it's seen as so normal. Right. Right. And so we really feel like we're at a space of burnout when it feels like, you know, if if you're having trouble relaxing, right. If you can't sit down on the couch and immediately not have 17 thoughts that are running through your head of like, you should be doing this, you shouldn't be sitting down. And it's that feeling. And obviously, you know, I'm not a therapist or like a licensed mental health professional and there are, everything is sort of, you know, on a spectrum, but it is that feeling of those things that 
used to maybe not bother you anymore, right? Like when you used to have the patience of your kid whining in your ear for 10 minutes, now it's like a minute one and you're like, oh my God, I want to explode, right? Like the right. patience that you used to have, some of that enjoyment that we used to get from things, right? Like the job that I, that I have that feels so fulfilling now just feels like, oh my God, I have to do that again today. Mm-hmm. And so it's really this place where we're pulling back in so many ways and also then feeling guilty about not enjoying life as much and not feeling like that grateful mother or woman that we should be feeling like. And so then almost overcompensating with the actions that we're taking. So, you know, sometimes people are like, how can I be in burnout? I'm being like, I'm so productive. Sometimes when we are at the earlier stages of burnout, we're like hyper productive because we're trying to almost overcompensate for those feelings that aren't quite there. Right. Yeah. The cloak of guilt. Oh man, that could be like a whole episode on that. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So how we can recognize that and towards work, but even our families as well too, maybe, right? Where we're just not so jazzed to do the bedtime routine one more time or everything just seems so difficult. Yeah. Good. So how common is it? I don't know if there's like difference between men, like, well, people who are socialized as men, women, I think that, you know, we can see from the research and from a lot of like statistics that are, that are coming out now that it is impacting everyone, right? Burnout is much more of a thing that we are seeing, especially over the pandemic, especially with like some of these new things where, I mean, you and I both have jobs where we work remotely, right? And that's fantastic in a sense. And for a lot of people, that also means there's never an off switch, You never go to the office and come home from the office, right? In Mm -hmm. in today's day and age. And so we are seeing burnout everywhere. And the way that, you know, I sort of frame it and how how I speak to people and how it impacts women disproportionately is in, you know, what I call like the working mom hustle culture, Mm -hmm. which is this hustle culture that not only is you have to give a thousand percent to the job that you're doing and the way that you show up everywhere else, but it's like, but also if you're not killing yourself in motherhood, like if you're not depleted at the end of the day, you haven't done it properly. Like sure. you should really go back and try and do it again because you clearly didn't give enough. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. we see this idea come through in so many different areas of our lives. And, you know, some it really takes te- taking a step back to be like, okay, I can't give 10,000% to everything all the time and then blame myself when I burn out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even just like the caliber, I feel like just my experience of growing up as a child, like just even we can talk about like birthday parties, like the standard now or like showers you put on and it's just like, you have to buy everyone a gift and like fancy K like, it's just the caliber is just so high. Um, Yeah, totally. Just changed so much, right? From generation to generation, even potentially. And I think that even in the age of social media, right? Mm -hmm. It's. And I think this is true, whether we're talking about diet culture and we're talking about body positivity and we're talking about, you know, that element of it and, or we're talking about the perfectionism and the burnout is growing up. And I mean, we grew up in like the eighties, nineties, like it's steeped in the diet culture realm, but the only people that I had to compare my body to were the 20 people like the, you know, the girls in my class, mm-hmm. right. That was yeah. it. That was my whole, yes. that was my sample size. Yes. Right? Yeah. Whereas nowadays, when we see more people struggling with, with body image and body dysmorphia and all of those things, you have millions of people to compare yourself to. And, and so see quickly. Where your body, yeah. yeah, like yeah. so readily, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And that's true of 
women as well. Whereas you might have known the people on your street 50 years ago and what they do for birthday parties. Now you have access to what a million women are doing. And so what I see so often are clients who are coming to me and they're like, well, I saw a mom building a seven figure business and I saw a mom running a marathon or training for a marathon and someone baking cookies for their kids bake sale and also giving to charity and like donating her time. I guess today I should build a seven figure business, train for a marathon, bake cookies, and also read, you know, story time to my kids classroom all in one day. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so the standards that we're, that we're setting for ourselves are just impossible to meet. And then we beat ourselves up when we can't seem to do it. Sure. Yeah. And just the change of having like a dual income family house versus more of that traditional stay at home kind of care parents, whatever that would usually fell on the women. Right. So yeah, those same expectations within the home with the same expectations of work, like you can't be in both places a hundred percent. And out. that's really what we saw, especially in, you know, the last like 2020 and on was mm-hmm. this massive shift back into very gendered roles where mm-hmm. women took on an exponential amount of the childcare and the cooking and the, all the things that we had to all take on during COVID. Mm-hmm. And we're still doing the jobs that they were doing professionally, if they were yes. doing something professionally. Without demonstrating that you had kids at home or in your space or behind exactly. you. Exactly. Exactly. Right. I think I started like every single session being like, there might be, we were potty training my son at the time. He was like three and a half. And I was like, there's a good chance a naked child might run into this room when I was talking to clients. I'm like, they shouldn't. And I've put certain things in place, but with yes. the creativity of my kids, you never know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You just hear the door unlock and I'm just like, What's going on in that corner? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I just need another hug. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So can we talk a little bit more about like socialization, you know, how that's unique to women kind of priming them for burnout too? Yeah. And I think like this, you know, this really goes back to like a lot of what, you know, you talk about and I talk about even in terms of diet culture, right? It's like for a very young age, especially even when we're talking about you know, kids sitting at a table being like, I'm, you know, my tummy's done. And parents being like, you can't possibly know that you need three more bites. Right. Mm -hmm. So many of the ways that even from a young age, we don't always recognize how certain concepts manifest themselves in other places. Right. And I say this to parents in my nutrition practice. I say this to, to women, you know, when I'm coaching is some of those things like, okay, well, if we taught people, they can't possibly know what's right for them right? And specifically women, there's, and and younger girls, right? Think about Cosmopolitan Magazine. Is that what people used to, Teenage Mm -hmm. Vogue, Teen Vogue. That's the Mm -hmm. one that I was looking for, right? How many articles are there in there that is like, here's the right way to look as a woman, to act as a woman, to eat as a woman, to think as a woman, to impress a boy as a woman, to do all of these things, right? And so a lot of the perfectionism and the people pleasing that lead to burnout. I talk about three P's of burnout, which are perfectionism, people pleasing and pressure. We like to just think that somehow we made up on our own. Like we just did these things that had had us burning out Mm -hmm. when in reality, so much of that education and that socialization that we have that again, you know, people socialize as men and men have certain aspects of it, but it disproportionately impacts women and people socialized as women we learn from such a young age, right? Mm-hmm. If you can't trust your body to know and somebody else knows better and adults know better and you know, like you should just ask the person in charge 
And then suddenly we're all like type A perfectionists who can only, we do really well on exams because we know exactly what the syllabus asked us, but like ask us to make a decision anywhere else in our lives. And we're like, I got to call my dad. I don't know. Like Mm -hmm. somebody else tell me, right? Yes. And that's what we see so often is people who are really great at following rules. And then when it comes to having to do what's right for them, it's incredibly challenging for them to be able to discern what that is. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. You just made me have a thought about even like the socialization around like how functional our outfits are too. And like, even just comments to females, right? It's more about the appearance, the look, the looking cute, looking put together, like whatever those. And then for men, it's more like, you know, even just the compliments we give, like you're so fast or strong. Like it's the complete opposite judging a character versus like the function of their body, right? Um, And I was just talking about this on another podcast is that we forget that even that socialization, like into people pleasing, into perfectionism is Mm -hmm. like, we're only a hundred years you know, since, or even like 60 years since women have been able to have a bank account Mm -hmm. and a visa card, right. And own property and things like that. And so perfectionism and making sure that if there's a waist size that is appropriate for your generation, and if there is a way that you're supposed to look and dress, and if there's a way that you're supposed to act in order to keep yourself safe by getting married or having a husband or like someone approving of you, Yes. There was a really, in the last hundred years, even there was a really great danger in not doing that. Sure. Right. And so we forget that like, we're still being raised by people for whom that was true or who, you know, we're, we're not very far generationally from people for whom that was true. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of these ideas of exactly like if there's a body type that is, I hate this in style, we should maintain it for sure, because otherwise all hell is going to break loose. And even though that's changed for women now, our mentalities haven't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And again, I, I think through some other professional development that I'm, I have done, when we look at the core of perfectionism, it is deep roots in white supremacy. So that whole ideal of one type or one way of doing it and everybody kind of being morphed um, is just it's so ugly and icky feeling when you think that that's kind of the roots of what you're kind of pursuing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So not a good place, but uh, yeah. So tell me a little bit more about what's working that mom hustle culture um, and how, like how women can step out of that or start kind of breaking free of these people pleasing this perfectionism. I love how you said the the three P's. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit more, but how can they get out of this? So step one, I always say is to not get out of it, but just to start looking at it. Right. I think that a lot of us, especially for those of us who are perfectionists, right. We're like, I know I should now change everything. Right. I should be. And it's even, you know, we see it in like the anti-diet world. Also, it's like, I've come to intuitive eating. I should have a perfect relationship tomorrow. Right. And you're like, that's not really how it works. Right. And so number one is just to get really comfortable asking why for all of the things that we do. Mm -hmm. Right. I give the example often of, you know, I'm Orthodox Jewish. We light candles every Friday night for Sabbath. And Mm -hmm. it used to really bother me. And I used to really judge myself for the fact that on Saturday night, I didn't like clean out my candlesticks right away. Like there would just be like wax in them and I like deal with it yeah. eventually, but it really yeah. bothered me about that for myself. And I was like, why do I feel guilty about this thing? Like, it doesn't even make sense. And, you know, eventually I was like, oh, cause like my mom used to just do it right after Sabbath was over on Saturdays. 
right? And it wasn't something that she ever told me that I was supposed to. It wasn't like she said to me, like, you better do this or it's going to be a problem. It was, it was just something that she did because it worked Mm -hmm. for her. But when we see it, I had internalized, like, that's the way you're supposed to do it. And we often do those things without recognizing it. And so step one is just starting to ask the question, why, right? Just developing a curiosity for all of the things that you do whether it's the way that you drive home from work every single day or the fact that you just yelled at your kid after you promised that you weren't going to yell at them today and you were going to be the calm parent, you know, getting really curious on why we do the things that we do. Mm -hmm. How did that manifest? Like, why do I do it like this? Right? Because Mm -hmm. it's really hard to problem solve things that we don't actually understand. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing something because somebody had told you 10 years ago that you should definitely do it like that, that's very different than if you truly, that works best for you. And you're like, no, I really like doing it like this, Mm -hmm. right? One is a problem, one is not. And so stepping out of that culture really means understanding how it plays out in your day-to-day. Love it. Okay. So that's kind of generating more awareness of what's making you tick and the reasons why you're choosing that off route, right? Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So when we're looking at more of that role of diet culture and food relationships, when it's connecting to burnout, I know you kind of alluded to that point before, but any other kind of like connections with that? Well, I think that it is, you know, recognizing again, like how, how much we use in the moment to judge ourselves. Right. And again, like, I love this when we talk about it in terms of diet culture, because it is so much is like, if I eat this cake right now, that's it. My life is over. I've failed. I'm a failure in life, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of taking the long-term view of a relationship over the course of a lifetime, and even act, like going back again to understanding why we're doing any of the things that we're doing, right? Like, why are we eating that cake right now? And it's like, mm-hmm. cause it's a birthday party and like, it's delicious, right? Mm-hmm. And really taking that step back to say, to start understanding what our motivations are, even from a diet culture lens, right? Like Mm -hmm. if it is really important to you that you eat breakfast a certain way, why is that, Mm -hmm. right? Like, why are we doing all of these things? Why are we making the choices that we're making? And why are, you know, is it like in third grade, your teacher once said something like that to you, but it is where are we holding on to these Mm -hmm. ideals that Mm -hmm. don't really serve us, right? Number one. And number two, the way that I think about perfectionism also is, women historically haven't really been taught how to have their own backs through like quote unquote failure. Right. And by failure, I really mean by like snafus in the road on the way to whatever it is that you're doing to something, not necessarily going perfectly right away, a hundred percent of your time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we think about perfectionism, I think about it like a coat of armor is that like, if somebody comes up to attack you and you have no martial arts skills, you, you can't fight back. You, you're just, you don't, the best thing you can do is possibly have armor around you. That makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. And so if we've never been taught how to have our own backs through failure or to be different Mm -hmm. or to have somebody disagree with something that we've done, the best thing that we can possibly do is get really, really, really good at perfectionism, which is like, just like the coat of armor. Right. Mm -hmm. It's the same way as, okay, you know, if you're being bullied for your weight, maybe, you know, like being in a smaller body, like that fixes the problem. Like just be perfect, be exactly what that person wants you to be. And that will fix the problem. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. When we've never built the skills, which for those of us who were born in the eighties and the nineties, weren't really taught very many of the skills to be like, 
that's cool that people have opinions about other people's bodies. Like I'm going to let them do with, with that, what they will. And I'm going to honor my body. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the difference really, even in being able to take an anti-diet lens and being able to take an intuitive eating lens is be like, that's cool that there are other people out there who have lots of thoughts about mm-hmm. other people. Right. Yes. We see them all over the internet. Yes. And also I can build the skill to do what's right for me. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's how, when we don't have that, both from a diet culture lens and from that hustle culture lens, we then just end up falling into, okay, what does everybody want from me? And I'll just do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So really trying essentially what intuitive eating is just coming home to yourself, figuring out like what you want and what you need and taking care, like honoring yourself first before all these rules and expectations and yeah. And that's what stepping out of the hustle culture is also is being really comfortable asking the question, what's right for me right now, Mm -hmm. which for most moms, they feel so, you know, that comes with so many feelings and emotions as well, right? Putting yourself first, giving yourself self-care time, you know, there's all of these, you know, you can't uphold all of the jobs and responsibilities, right? So a lot of times I'm sure your clients were like just feeling guilty about doing that or taking the space to, yeah. to honor that too. It's like, and the reality is that topic. there are these subconscious definitions that we all hold of what the right way is, right? Mm-hmm. If I say yeah. the word mom, mm-hmm. any person who's listening to this, if, you know, could probably write down 15 ways that that person who we call mom is supposed to function. Sure. Right. Yeah. And some of them, like you might write down and then be like, oh, like, I don't, I don't do that. Or I don't want to do that. Or, oh my God, I can't believe that I think that. Right. Mm-hmm. But subconsciously we do. Mm-hmm. And so we have all these ideas of the right way to do things. And so it's kind of like, um, you know, starting like the intuitive eating process and eating a food that maybe had been restricted before, but at the same time in your head, you're, you're still like, I shouldn't be eating this. I shouldn't be eating this. I shouldn't be eating this. The enjoyment is not there. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's yeah. part of the process, but it's not there, but it's the same token when, you know, maybe you want to do some self-care as a mom and you're sitting down on the couch mm-hmm. and taking a couple of minutes to yourself and your entire brain is like, get up. What are you doing? You're worth, like, you need to be moving. You should be doing mm-hmm. this. Your kids' lunches need to be packed, all of the things. Yeah. And then yeah. people are like, why did I not even enjoy that five minutes that I took to myself? Exactly. Yeah. It just robs you of all of your experiences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it really does. You become the manager of all of the experiences instead of actually getting to enjoy them. Mm-hmm, definitely. There's this one mama friend I have locally and she's such an inspiration for doing self-care and she'll all like, she purposely posts about it and talks about it and uh, like, we'll plan little things. And it's just so inspiring that like her family can come together to make that happen for one thing. And the amount of messages that she gets from other moms of just being like, this motivated me to do it or whatever. And it's just like, it's just so sad that like, we have to feel that, you know, get the influence from someone else to kind of like do it. But uh, right. anyways, you know, just- it's, it, but it is, it's interesting because, and again, like this goes back to so many of the parallels. It's like, you know, we say when somebody has a certain body size and they're like, here's what I eat in a day. Yes. And you're like, okay, let's actually take a step back and look at all of the other factors that are not included in what that person eats in a day, right? But when we sometimes see, especially on social media, especially in a world that is like very small images of people's Mm -hmm. lives and they're like, I took self-care today or I did, you know, I went away for a girl's weekend 
or even like I'm building a, a successful business and you're a mom for like mompreneur who's just starting out and you're like, why doesn't mine look like that? Right. Mm-hmm. The, the behind the scenes can be so powerful Yes, because yeah. it really does clarify and not to be like, oh, see that person had help. And that's why my business isn't here. If you're building a business or that's why my house doesn't look like that. Like not in a demotivating, almost like excuses way, but mm-hmm. in a, the reality of life way, right? Mm-hmm. That person yeah. may have parents close by who allow her to have more accessibility for self-care sure. because they can yes. watch. And just yeah. being able to start seeing like the behind the scenes of your my life might look different than somebody else's life. And so if you make different decisions, that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I guess what I was just meaning was just how so many people reach out being like, you're my inspiration. Like I need to do this too. And I think yeah. it's a good topic for like all moms, I think to be talking about is how are we doing self-care and making, making a point of doing it. Right. So yeah. It's such a, a guilt factor with that. Right. So, okay. You mentioned before the three P's. So can you share a little bit more about what they are and kind of defining them a little bit more? <laughs> totally. So the three P's that I talk about when it comes to burnout are people pleasing perfectionism and pressure from society, ourselves, and our families. And okay. so, you know, perfectionism, I think that we all, we all think about perfectionism as just being like, I just really like to have my highlighters color coded in like university, <laughs> right? Like I'm just such a perfectionist. I just like to make sure that the frosting on the cupcakes is done perfectly. And mm-hmm. the reality is that that is a part of perfectionism, but really it is this idea that we're supposed to be doing everything perfect all the time, mm-hmm. right? And it has to be to, to a certain standard. And I really describe it as trying to run a marathon by standing at the starting line, trying to like mentally calculate how to possibly take the entire marathon in one step, mm-hmm. right? So it's, you know, all of the ways in which we're like, we have to do things perfectly. We have to do it ideal. We have to be as efficient as possible, like all of the hustle culture messaging. Mm -hmm. And so that when some people are like, why am I so exhausted by just folding the laundry? I'm like, how many hours did you spend before that thinking about and stressing about the fact that you didn't fold the laundry and what that means about you, that you didn't fold the laundry and are you a delinquent parent because the laundry is still not folded and it's been in the dryer for three days. Right. And all of those ways that that contributes to burnout and how perfectionism plays a role in that. Mm-hmm. And people pleasing is, you know, really putting everybody else first. Mm-hmm. And it's either that guilt, I talk about, you know, the people pleasing cycle, which is often, you know, women find themselves in, which is putting everybody else first and, you know, sacrificing and going above and beyond, and then feeling mad and resentful that they're putting mm-hmm. everybody else first and nobody else cares about them and nobody puts them first and then pulling back. And specifically being like, I'm not cooking dinner tonight and I'm not going to do this for you, which when we're doing things specifically not for people is still just another side of people pleasing, Mm -hmm. but it really, you know, depletes women when we can never think about like, what do I need? It pulls us completely out of what do I need? What does my body need? You know, Mm -hmm. how am I feeling today? And only focusing on what everybody else around us needs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so eventually burns us out. And pressure, which I mean, is a big one, right? Mm -hmm. Like what does society expect from us? What do our families expect from us? What did our partner expect from us? And what if we change? And what if we, you know, don't do things exactly perfectly? And the entire question that women walk around with all the time is, am I doing this right? And what does this mean about me? Mm -hmm. Right? It's like, I didn't unload the dishwasher for two days. What does that mean about me? And I, you know, I like, 
I posted last night that we were on our last roll of toilet paper when yeah. normally I always make sure that when we're on, like, we have like three rolls left that I buy more. Yeah. And I'm like, this is totally a thing that five years ago, I would have been like, what does this mean about me that I can't even get myself organized enough to buy my family toilet paper? Everybody was fine. We still had toilet paper left. I bought more this morning. Like there, nothing happened, right? But it's that constant, like, what does this mean about me in comparison to societal standards? Oh man, he just painted me in all sorts of colors there. Yes. <laughs> people yeah. often are like you really called me out on the, in yeah. the podcast oh, I'm like you said. and every other woman yes <laughs> yeah. I think like for me sorry just to just say a personal share but just growing up in my my home environment so just have to say this mindfully so all of like my parents are entrepreneurs and it there was no like switch off like you're saying on work off work like you know and it was always this you had to be doing something like all the time like that that capitalism essentially right yeah and after university and when my hubby and I got our first like house I had like such a hard time just teaching myself being like Athena you can just sit on the deck and like drink your tea like you know getting into that like break mode and allowing myself to to do that but just that pull and desire to always be doing something and being productive yeah is exhausting and I feel like I was in that cycle for so long and it's just like why (laughs) why Mm -hmm. totally and I think that again like you know especially in the shift that we've made to remote working and things like that there's so much that's great about that Mm -hmm. and there's also that like even less turnoff mode because you're always accessible Usually. on your phone and you're always accessible on your computer or, yeah. or, you know, the same living room that you were working in is now somehow your relaxation time at night. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I think people for sure are feeling it so much more. And, you know, it is like being able to relax, being able to sit down is really hard in a culture that's, that's like, you should be doing something though. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. there's always someone like knocking on your window being like, excuse yeah. me, are you taking a break? Cause you shouldn't be doing that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just interesting too, how like different family, like how just like your upbringing influences it, of course, as well. So what are kind of the tangible takeaways or some key points or little gentle seed planting for anyone listening that wants to like make some change around this area? Totally. So the number one thing that I tell people to start with is some, is a strategy that I just call my what, why, what strategy. But it goes back to, you know, starting to ask that question, why is just starting to look at like, what are the things that you're doing, right? You don't mm-hmm. have to be someone who like does time blocking down to the minute, but just starting to like take a peek at what are the things you're doing? How do you spend mm-hmm. your days? Like, what do you, what's your morning routine like, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just starting to take a look at that to see where our time is getting spent and starting to get really comfortable asking the question, why, Right. Why are we doing things like that? Like, why do you serve breakfast the way that you do? Or why do you wake up like you do in the morning? Or why does your dinner routine look the way that it does with, you know, I have three kids who like my mother was over when I was giving dinner last night and she was like, I'm really tired for you. <laughs> I was like, I am really tired for me too. <laughs> but, you know, getting really comfortable asking why for any, anything that you're doing and not just taking the first answer, right? The example that I always give is for parents who are, let's say like eating picky eaters. And sometimes I would hear like, why are you making seven different meals for your picky eater? And Mm -hmm. the parents would be like, because they have to eat something. I'm like, but if there was a more truthful answer, why would it be? And eventually Mm -hmm. often it's because a lot of parents are like, because if my child doesn't 
eat, then I feel guilty as a parent because I'm a horrible parent. And so for the love of God, I need them to eat something so I can feel okay. I'm like, yes. Okay. So we've uncovered something, right? So that's what we're dealing with. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. Because some Mm -hmm. of these things, you know, sometimes the why isn't just, I'm just a great human being. And that's why I'm driving someone to the airport at 3am. It's like, because I feel guilty because once they did me a favor when I was in the eighth grade and now I need to pay them back. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And getting really comfortable with those whys without wanting to change anything right away. Right. It doesn't mean Mm -hmm. we have to do something different. We can just get really comfortable asking why. And if you're unclear on the why, just start asking that second what question, which is what are we getting out of it? Mm -hmm. Right. And that can be, you know, again, whether you're coming at things from a diet culture lens, that it can be like, why did I eat that food? Why did I not eat that food? Why did I like, you know, why, why did this happen to me? Or you're, you promised yourself for six weeks in a row, you were going to go to bed at 10 o'clock and somehow at 1am you're still watching TV. What are you getting out of that time? Mm-hmm. Right. Because a lot of those things start making very clear what our motivations are for doing certain things. And sometimes again, we're like, you know, what? I just need to set an alarm for 10 PM to go to sleep every night. That's, I need to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. And in reality, the problem is you feel like you have no time to yourself throughout the day. So you're taking three hours now to watch TV And Mm -hmm. setting an alarm isn't going to solve that problem, Mm -hmm. right? So it's really just starting to uncover and get to the root of what some of these things are so that we know what we're up against. And then we can take the proper steps to decide, like, do we still like these motivations or not? Mm -hmm. Is it serving me? Is this bringing me joy and happiness? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, incredible. Well, thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. So with the closing questions... What is the single most protective action do you believe people can take to help protect themselves from diet culture? Ah, that's a loaded one. I think I think it's it is like starting to to like ask the why, right? Really understanding what your motivations are. I mean, mm-hmm. that's short of like being really, really ruthless about what boundaries you're willing to put up with the people around you, because that's, Mm -hmm. you know, that's like an outer, I would say the the number one thing they can do to protect is that outer one is really clarifying the boundaries. Mm -hmm. Uh, And number two is really understanding yourself and your why and like what's important to you from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. And what about parents, caregivers that have kids? What's something they can do to help protect them from diet culture? I think that it's like anything else. I think that sometimes we forget that like fat phobia and weight stigma and all of those things are, it's like a a form of oppression, like anything else. And the same way that you might walk into a Thanksgiving dinner, you know, if you were going to have people who were there, like who might be, you know, steeped in diet culture or other things. And you might say to your, to your kids, like, this is what we believe in being, Mm -hmm again, like ruthlessly clear with your kids on what you believe in and what they know to be true, Mm -hmm. because, you know, so long as, as we can give our kids, like lend them our backs, right. Like they know that like we have our, their, our backs, we have their backs, sorry, as they grow up, like that empowers them to be able to take that really strong stance as they grow. So I think about it like the same way that I would have a conversation with my kid about, you know, being Jewish and like anti-Semitism and how some people view that or racism or all of those kind of things. Mm-hmm. I would have a conversation around like, here's what we know to be true about bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, other people are allowed to do with, with like with their thoughts, what they will. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And where can listeners learn more about you and your work that you're doing? 
So I hang out lots on Instagram. My handle is Ahuva Hirschkop and I run a free community on Facebook called Beyond Burnout with Ahuva Hirschkop. Those are probably the best ways to find out more about me and the work that I'm doing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. I really feel like this episode is going to resonate with a lot of people. So thanks for sharing space, Ahuva, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed listening to Diet Culture Dropout. If you like today's podcast, I would love for you to leave a review, share the episode with a friend, or subscribe. The more we can collectively break down diet culture, the closer we get to food peace and celebrating all bodies. Thanks for being here. Thank you.